So today's topic, we, we've uh, touched on this in the past, but in the sense of rescue, and I think we even discussed it a little bit in the last class, to contrast, um, but meaning the obligation to rescue someone. It means if someone is, uh, needs to be rescued, so as Jews, we have a biblical obligation to help save their life. Whether you know how to do it, obviously, if you, only if you know how to do it. If you don't, um, then you obviously don't have an obligation. Assuming you have the ability to save someone's life, you have to save them. So we'll get back to that in a second, so, and I'll tell you why we're discussing it. But today we're going to focus more on the monetary part of it, um, and I'll explain what that means, as opposed to the actual safety which we dealt with in the past. There's a new organization started in Houston, a new um, called Hatzala. I don't know if you're aware of it. Um, it's, it's basically primarily right now it's in foundry, but it's a volunteer EMT. They've, they've done. It's been there. Okay. Yeah, they have it in so, Israel too. Yeah, they have it in Israel. They have it in New York. There's, there's around 22 branches in in all over the United States now. They just recently started in Houston. Right now, I think they have uh, something like 25, 20 volunteers in that area who are trained as EMTs. They have equipment in their car and. Um, Basically, there's a 24-hour there's a dispatcher who's on duty, different people, again, all, totally all volunteer, and they respond, the, you call us number, and uh, the, the dispatcher puts it out on the radio, they all carry radios, um, two-way radios, and once it goes out, they basically, if you remember, I don't want to date myself, but like the old Kojak series, they have like these cherries they throw on top of the car, some of them have the, the more matching guys have lights and sirens instilled now in the grill and everything. And they drive on sidewalks, they go through red lights, so it's, it's a very good thing um, for, especially if you're Orthodox, there's very little ways to express your machismo as an Orthodox male. So you can't, uh, you know, you're limited in how you express yourself. So this gives people, Orthodox uh, people, the, the idea to, uh, the, the, way, the way to basically, you know, be macho, drive around with lights and sirens, they, you know, and it's, a, it's an exciting thing. So, um, you know, you're in shul, the rabbi's in the middle of the sermon, you can throw off your talus, run out, right in the middle of davening. So, they, so, of course, they can violate Shabbat. You do whatever has to be done. As we know, saving a life, you can violate any Torah law, almost any Torah law, except three, which is the three, the big three. I don't worship big murder, and adultery. Yeah, start with the adultery. Adultery is first, um, and I don't worship them, then murder. But, uh, you, what does mean? Same for you, the order is adultery. Yeah. So if you're going to save a life, you're allowed to commit adultery? No, we're saying not. <laughs> Except not. those are the three exceptions. So the three exceptions to the rule of saving a life is you can violate any one of the 610 commandments except, please make sure it's so clear, except, except adultery, um, uh, idolatry, and, and murder. Okay, which means again, the three cases oh, would be... Oh, you're not allowed to commit adultery. Oh, right. I see. So meaning if someone puts a gun to you and says, sleep with this married woman or else I'll shoot you, you have to let yourself be killed before sleeping with the married woman. Okay? Um, in any case, Esther was a prime example. How she, she, uh, how she had to sleep with Achashverosh. That was the case. She was married to Mordechai. Going to marriage. There's a lot of cases. There's exceptions to the adultery Wait, rule. Wait, she was also. married to Mordechai. Going to the one marriage. Yeah, going to the other. She was married. So well, Denise, she still, still was married. 
irrelevant. If he was married, she was married. So there's many cases. We're not getting into that now. Not today's topic, unfortunately. Um, but so that's one example. The other example would be murder. I mean, someone puts a gun to your head, says, "Kill this innocent person, or else I'll kill you." You cannot kill the person. You have to let yourself be killed before killing another innocent person. Number well, three. Kill this innocent person, and kill your kids. What about the good so of the many your, versus the few? Your wife and children are sort of called kigufa. That's like you. But your mother-in-law, you can you can kill her before. <laughs> <laughs> not I, I have noticed one constant theme in all of these classes, and it does tie to that Um <laughs> So now, so and the third thing is idolatry. It means someone says bow to baby Jesus, or else I'm going to kill you. You can't bow to baby Jesus or any other form of idolatry, whatever it may be. Okay? What is the mass thing? What if it's like, hey, I'm going to kill this thousand people? Or oh, so numbers don't, ma- uh, don't make a difference in, in Allah. And how, and how is innocence thing? What if he says this guy is a, a thief? Kill him, and you can lease out oh, the so meal. Not, so now, if the person is committed a capital crime, three capital, and they're specifying we're going to kill this person, not anyone. Meaning if they say, say there's a group of uh, Jews, and they say give us one Jew or else we'll kill all of you. You can't even give them one Jew, even though more people have died. If they say we want this specific guy, they specify, and they say, and that person happens to be violating a capital crime, then you can give them over. They save the rest. Give us Jonah the murderer. Right, and you can. But but decision making, if you have a self-driven car, did that. Okay. Did that yeah, but what do you do? Do you take the person out on the sidewalk or do you hit the oncoming bus? So that's the question for the people who are creating self-driving cars. As I told you, there's so a group Torah in Israel that's working on this. Torah would say you Allah take the bus. Torah you take your own life. You can't take the other people's life on the sidewalk. No, Torah says the fact that one person, let's say you have a 90-year-old guy or a school bus, you still can't. Meaning, if you if the car is going for the 90-year-old guy, you can't then change it. You know, you can't program it to hit the school bus. Uh, sorry, to hit the 90-year-old guy as opposed to the school bus. But That's it depends on how you program. We're getting on this. You can't make the choices. Meaning numbers, as we say. Well, so that's how we did that class right now. People remember. We'll do it again. So, so now again. So the question when I so I want to discuss. So this, that's why these a lot of these questions came up because of this new organization. So there's a lot of questions that have come up um, as it relates to Shabbos and driving back from calls. There's a lot of various issues that are relevant. Not going to get into that. Um, can you know what happens if you take some of the hospital on Shabbos because you're allowed to? You're not allowed to. Can you drive back? to eat your challenge. You want to have, uh, spend the rest of the time with your family. And a lot of drive back from the hospital. So there's a lot of interesting questions that come up. How do you want to do that? Can driving back is not saving a life. Just a, a you know, maybe shalom bite. But we do permit it um, for a fascinating reason, as we'll discuss, because... It's save your life. It's because in the future, we want to make sure the guy goes on the call. If he knows every time he goes to the hospital, he may end up being stuck there for the rest of Shabbos and he's not going to eat chunks, he's having some hospital food. So, we, so the next time his radio goes off, he's not going to run as quickly. Okay, the, the, the main purpose of this um, organization, the response time, is literally two minutes, because usually they're in the neighborhood, they have the equipment, they have defibrillators, they have, person, they have everything in their car. So if you call EMS, usually it's at least, in Houston, it's uh, usually around 11 minute average response time. So they're, they're, which isn't bad, actually, New York is 26 minutes, so Houston's doing good. So here, they're there in literally two minutes. They're right there, they're in the neighborhood, they come, the lights and sirens, and, and they're there. 
Again, they don't have an ambulance at this point. They're not transporting usually. But how ideal is to get to before? Right, right. Meaning they start treating. Meaning it's the fibula, especially when it comes to cardiac arrest. You need immediate attention. Every minute counts. Some uh, or drowning or things like that. So, the bottom line is, it's a great organization. Are they confined it. to a, uh, right now? Uh, uh, is it confined to a uh, subdivision or? Yeah, a presently they're just in Fandrin, but the, so the goal is to expand. I can't call. You can call them, but uh, if they happen to be around, you never know. Maybe they'll come. For you, they're probably not. Probably won't. The thing is, for you, an ambulance will probably get there soon. It's right. I mean, if they're not around. I've told Wolby I want to be on the list. Okay. Okay, so now, so the question becomes, so what, what, so first of all, it's a fascinating thing, as we discussed in the past, there's a major difference between Western or American law, at least, and, um, and halacha in this, in this situation is that in Western laws, we, there's no obligation to rescue. I mean, even if I, can, I know the Heimlich, and I know, uh, I know mouth to mouth, right, if you're driving down Brazewood, you see a car accident, you don't have to stop. You can wave to the guy, smile, you're late for your meeting, you did nothing wrong, you did nothing illegal, you're, you're fine. You're, you might be an idiot, but you're not. You don't have to call 911. Legally, if you did nothing, you violated no law. In uh, Texas, for sure, in almost all states, as far as I know, there's no obligation to help rescue. Um, as we're saying here, halachically speaking, according to Jewish law, if you don't stop and render aid, and you knew how to render aid, then you're literally you're in violation of at least one negative commandment of the Torah, which states, number one on the sheet, you, you shall not stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. So if I have the ability, if I know how to swim and someone's drowning, if you're in a restaurant, you know the Heimlich, and they, they say, is there, is there someone in the house who knows the Heimlich, and you continue eating your meal, so you're in violation of a Torah law, it's a biblical violation. Um, now, there's another... Only for Jewish rescuers or Jewish re rescuees? Yes. So it's a very non-politically correct question. We're not going to address that because we're on tape. But the, technically speaking, the obligation is only to rescue Jews. It doesn't mean you shouldn't rescue non-Jews. By the way, we allow you to violate Shabbat to rescue non-Jews. But the technical obligation is specifically, it says, Re'acha, you shall not stand while your brother's blood is being shed. So the understanding of Talmud, Talmud interprets brother as meaning a fellow Jew. So again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't rescue someone else. It means you ha obligatory is only fellow Jew. But obviously, we live in a society where if you just, uh, let's say, I tell a call the number and they say, are oh, you Jewish? And they, oh, sorry, you're hang up. So that's, they'll lose their license. Yeah. It's not a good thing. So obviously we require you. should rescue her too. Yeah, brother doesn't mean, uh, means brother in, uh, in this one. Yes. So here's an interesting duty to rescue. And duty to rescue is a concept in tort law that arises in a number of cases. Only for professionals. What? Only for professionals. The duty to rescue is only for, let's say, if you're a physician and you have a contractual obligation, or you're an EMT. But if, if they are, don't step foot in your office, you have no contractual, so you have no obligation. two examples of duty yeah. where you do, a duty to rescue arises when a person creates a hazardous situation, but another person okay. then falls into peril because of the hazardous situation, the creator of the hazard, who may not, who may not necessarily have been a negligent, has a duty to help okay. that person. Or there's another one. one. Such a duty may arise with special relationships exist. Parent have a duty to rescue a minor child. This duty also applies to those acting in like a baby school or babysitter. Employers have an obligation to rescue employees under an implied contract theory. Oh, only if there's a cut. What do you mean? Only Some U.S. jurisdictions, real property owners have a duty to rescue invitees, but not trespassers from reasonably foreseeable. Mm -hmm. right, so there's no, but if I'm just driving down Brazewood and someone, a car goes into the bayou, I have no duty. That's Spouses have a duty to rescue each other in U.S. Uh, in U.S. jurisdictions. 
Okay, but, but that's it. Again, the United restraint. States, as of 2009, 10 states have laws on the books requiring that people at least notify law enforcement or seek right. aid for strangers in peril. That's, okay. uh, that could be true. There's many stories, by the way, that came Not about. Texas. I mean, let me explain. That came about. There's a famous case, 1964, Genevieve's, her last name was Genevieve. She was on the street of Manhattan being murdered and uh, screaming top of her lungs and nobody, people, neighbors opened the shades, everyone looked out, nobody called 911, she was killed. It's in 1964, that's the famous Genovese case. It's also a case in 2010 of a woman being raped, literally during the day, broad daylight, on a street corner, and no one stopped to help her. People said they thought, oh, they thought it was consensual, they didn't die. No one stopped, she's screaming. And because of those cases, now states are realizing that, because in Europe there are, like France, for example, has an obligation to rescue, even as a layperson. So there are s countries in Europe that do have an obligation to rescue. But specifically, America is the one that does not have any duty, as saying, except if there's certain specific relationships. Uh, I just want to say not to give you the Good Samaritan law. We'll get that. We'll get that. We'll get that. Don't give away my budget. Okay, so now, the, so there is Good Samaritan laws. We'll discuss that in a second. That's if you decide to rescue. That's not necessarily, that's not an obligation. If you decide to rescue, then we'll talk about the Good Samaritan. But basically, the question becomes now, um, how does it work? First of all, the Gemara, the Talmud asks this question. What happens if, if, if I... I can't rescue someone, but I have the money. I can have the means to hire someone that, that, uh, that will rescue this person. So the guy standing next to me says, listen, I know that I'm a person. If you pay me $50, I'm going to miss my meeting, and then I'll do it. So my app, does the tour also obligate me to lay out money for rescue? So it's not only, or let's say I have to buy uh, equipment. You know, the guy needs, I have to run to the CVS to buy bandages, whatever the case, tourniquet. Do I have to do that? Or is it only, and if I can rescue someone with my body, then I have to do it. So that's the question. So the Talmud says, it brings a second verse, which is number two here on the sheet, which says, you shall restore it to him, which that verse says, explicitly, it's referring to returning a lost object, it says the Talmud, that also obligates you, just like you're obligated to return if someone lost a wallet, and the Torah says, we don't believe in finders, keepers, losers, weepers, you have to return it, you have to find the rightful owner, so, so too, you have to return someone's health. So the Talmud then asks, what do I need both verses for? So it says, it's coming to tell you, even in the case where you have to spend money for the rescue, you're still obligated to do that. Okay, so you have to lay out money to help save someone's life if you, if you have the ability. Yeah. To, what, to what capacity? To what extent? So it's a good question. So some say you only have to spend up to a fifth of your net worth, just like any other mitzvah. Any positive commandment, usually you have to spend up to a fifth of your net worth, not more. So the same thing. How many positive commandments are there? Like 200 or something? I'm so saying that means, but I feel, means, let's say, no, I'm saying no. Each commandment. And you have to spend up to current, uh, your current, up to a fifth of your current network. So let's say you're filling. Let's say I have to buy filling. I don't have filling, and um, I can't afford filling. Okay, so I would have to spend up to once the filling cost would be more than a fifth of my net worth. I'm exempt from wearing filling. Okay, that, that's a classical example. So any pad that's a positive commandment. Now here, for negative commandment, for example, adultery or murder, you have to spend everything you got to violate the law. I mean, you can't say, listen, if I don't kill this guy, it's going to cost me more than 50 million worth, so I'm allowed to kill him. It's working. So you, meaning you, you have to spend everything you own not to violate a negative commandment. Okay, well, now the point, I think the more tough one of that is, do I kill this one person to save these three people? Uh, I mean, I think life, life is, is not me measurable. 
life or money is kind of like, you know, it's yeah. not measurable. But, you know, it's not measurable. That's the point. So you have to spend everything. But not only life, any negative commandment. Violating Shabbat is also. In order not to violate Shabbat, a person can't say, well, I have to keep my business open on Saturdays because otherwise I'm going to lose millions of dollars. It's irrelevant. I mean, there's ways to do it, maybe, but you have to get a non-Jewish partner. What if it's one-fifth of my net worth? Oh, that's what I'm saying. Over. Since Shabbos is a negative commandment, oh, so you have to spend everything you own not to violate. If you lose your job, tough, tough cooking. Part of uh, being Jewish. How easy being Jewish. Okay. So now, so so again, so the Talmud learns from this case that even if you have to, if you look at number three, it says, how do you know if one sees a neighbor drowning, being attacked, wild animal being robbed, the one must save the neighbor from the first, you shall not stand out of the bar while your brother's blood is being shed. And even if one needs to hire someone, you still need to, um, you still need to lay out the money, says the Talmud. Now the question becomes, what happens if, um, if I, I laid out money to save someone, can I get reimbursed? Does the victim, or the patient, or whatever you want to call them, do they have to reimburse me for what I, for my expenditure? Probably, unless it's an undue same thing, probably one-fifth or... No, so it doesn't do it that. They have to, so the rush says, so the rush of the commentary on the Talmud there says yes. Not to the point of making them... No, if, they, if you save their life and you spent money, whatever the case is, let's say they, were, they needed surgery, they had an illness, they needed surgery, and you laid out the money for the surgery, you, the person, you can get, you get reimbursed from the person. Right. He has to reimburse you if he has the money, says the rush. If he has the means, so then you can sue for reimbursement. I'm going to get okay. the case, meaning you laid out money, cost $500 to, for the tourniquet and whatever the case is. He doesn't have health insurance. Okay, so now you have to you have to lay out the money, but if he has the means to pay you back, he's obligated to pay you back. That's what the rush says, and that's Wait, good. do you have the obligation to lay out the five yeah, dollars to pay? Yeah, that's what $500 to pay for your own. No, but this guy's but lying there, and he can't, you know, he can give you, take his credit card out of his wallet. I mean, whatever the case is, he didn't lay it out. So but if he has an advance... he's not trying to help himself, I can you know, I've done it That's a different question. We'll talk about it. Let's say the guy was negligent. We'll, yeah, we'll get to those cases. And the guy, uh, but generally speaking, um, <coughs> if he has the means to reimburse you, you can sue him for reimbursement. Okay? Now, we'll get, we'll get back, so we'll get back to this in a second. I just want to address, go back to your, before I forget, your case with, uh, so the case with the Good Samaritan law. So by the way, so the Texas state law, if you look at number seven here, this is House Bill 4 in the state of Texas, states that a person who in good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully and wantonly negligent. So the case here like this. Let's say I'm doing a rescue, I'm saving someone's life, but I have to uh, break down the door to, to get to them, or I have to break the car window, or even, you know, whatever the case is, they damage when I'm going on the call, that's all, I knock off someone's mirror, I knock off the guy's mirror, whatever the case is. Or, you know, so I, I damage the person monetarily. So, or I end up killing the guy in my rescue. It happened too. Okay, because I didn't know the Heimlich <coughs> so Says the House Bill 4, Texas law is, that a person in good faith provides emergency care is not liable for civil damages unless the act is willfully or wantfully negligent. So because they want people to, even though it's not obligatory, I don't have to stop and save someone, even if they're drowning, you know, I know or if they're choking. But if I do render care, I do render aid, so then I'm, I'm not liable for the damages that occur. But if you like, kick the door and like, dude, it was unlocked. 
Oh, so, so that's the thing. So that's if you look at the language of the law, it says willfully or wantfully negligent. If it's willfully or wantfully negligent, so you should have checked the door first, right. then you're all going to be liable. But if the door is stuck, you can tell. Right. So now, okay. so what's interesting is, and this is where it becomes problematic. So the way it works is, let's say you did kick in the door, and this guy says, "Listen, you could have used. It was like, you know, you could have, could have called me. I would have opened it for you." So the jury now get, he could sue you for damages, and the jury gets to decide: was it willful? Or wanting, negligent, whatever the law, willfully or wantonly negligent or not. So if you look at number six, this is from a law professor. In so they have to prove intent, though, then. Uh, well, I, I, we need the lawyers here to define what willfully or wantonly negligent is. You, uh, you know how to define that? Any of the attorneys, what, what kind of law do you practice? Somewhere between civil So meaning the question becomes like this. So if you look at number six, this is from a law professor in University of Virginia Law School. He says, our law says that you do not have to volunteer to leave others from danger, not due to your own fault. So I'm driving, like we said, the guy, or I'm in the restaurant, the guy's choking. Just continue, wave to the guy's smile and continue to work. But if you do volunteer, if you engage in some activity that is followed by hard, it's a, it's a misspell, I don't know what I'm supposed to say by that. By what? Something to such another, by harm. It's supposed to be an M. Okay, that's a typo. Such another, then a court may let a jury scrutinize what you did and call it actionable negligence, no matter how hard you try. So even though I, I was trying to save the guy's life, but I damaged the guy. I did something wrong, like I said, he kicked in the door, or I did, I did the compressions in the wrong part of his body, and I, I broke his ribs. Okay, says many people aware of this think it's much wise to do nothing at all. If you're not under a duty to fees, Right, to execute an action, condition, or obligation, the non-feasance can never be held actionable. So if I don't stop, I wave to the guy, I'm fine, I did nothing wrong, nothing illegal. If I do stop, I render care, and I screw up, so the guy now, the jury's going to get to decide if I'm, if I'm liable for damages, and is it wanton negligence. So he says the non-feasance can never be held actionable. If you engage in feasance toward anybody, under most circumstances, you must feast carefully. Moral, don't ever feast unless you have to. So basically, even with the Good Samaritan laws, you're still screwed, is what we're saying. It's the American yeah. law is saying, unless you did render the aid properly, you could, a jury's now going to get to decide whether you're liable or not. So most people say, listen, why should I stop? Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, I'll call 911 and just move on, or I'd say, make believe I didn't see it. And sometimes you see it out of the corner of your eye and you make believe you didn't see anything. Okay, so, you know, you hear the accent behind you, just press on the gas. <coughs> as far away as possible. So that's a problem. So there's a very clear distinction between halacha, the Torah requires you to do, which is stop and rescue, and what the Texas law or most states around. Most states have a good Samaritan law. Yeah. There's a requirement different for a Jew or non-Jew to perform the safety. To say a Jew or non-Jew is different. Again, for the rescuer or rescuee? The rescue. I mean, if I see a non-Jewish guy versus a Jewish guy... Yes, again, technically speaking, the, this, the biblical obligation is only for a fellow Jew, but, of course, all that Allah says, you got to do... You can't say, okay, you're not Jewish, sorry. Check his circumcision and then, sorry, sorry it doesn't work like that, obviously. In, in, in a Jewish society... In a wartime thing... <coughs> Obviously, I don't think you have too many Jew on Jew war situations. Well, war is different anyway. War, you always, I mean, it could be a soldier of different laws, and, and Torah-wise also. War is always they suspend a lot of the laws in a, in a war. Yeah, war is always different. But we're talking about regular, regular civil situation. Okay, now, interestingly, in Halakha, as we're going to see, they also realize people, there's, there's, there's a few questions here. One is, what happens in a third, let's say I don't damage the victim, what happens if I damage a third party? So on the way to the call, you know, there's a car blocking, I, you know, there's a little space, I drive by quickly and I knock off the mirrors of, a, of someone who's not involved. Do I, who has to pay for those damages? Okay, do I have to pay? 
Can, does the victim have to pay? Because I'm going to rescue him. So, so. Well, the victim didn't ask to be rescued. Right? Oh, so we'll get to that part. We'll discuss that in a second. So, meaning who has to pay? Is, has to pay in that case. So, the Talmud was aware of this, and they said, normally speaking, the halachic principle is Adam would lolam. That means a person is always liable for his actions. We don't care. You can't have an excuse. Not like American courts, where you know, okay, I grew up in this neighborhood. You know, my grandmother abused me when I was a kid. Fourth grade teacher failed me too many times. So I, I'm very, uh, you know, whatever the case is, we don't, that doesn't work in a Jewish court of law. You did an action, you damaged someone, you're liable. Right, no, 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 no excuses working. Except, but Thomas says, if you look at number eight. Whether awake or asleep. Right, so it says, man is always in the category of one who has been forewarned, hence is liable for damage, whether acting inadvertently or willfully under coercion, voluntarily, we don't care if someone put a gun to you, you're always liable for your actions. I mean, you're sleepwalking, so you should have done something to prevent sleepwalking. The fact that you didn't, it's, that's then you're liable, okay? Now, but, if you look at number nine, and he says, if one is chasing after the pursuer, so let's say someone's chasing someone with a gun, and you're, you want to save the person's life, so that's the classical case of Rodef, a pursuer, so you have a right just like in Texas, you have a right to shoot the pursuer, okay? Um, and he breaks objects belonging to the pursuer or anyone else. I'm running to save someone, and in my rescue, I damage third party's property. Okay, so says Maimonides, he says he's exempt. Why? He says this rule is not a matter of strict biblical law. So basically, under biblical law, you're really liable, because under Mu'ad Lolam, you're always liable for your actions. But it's an enactment made by the rabbis in order that one should not refrain from rescuing another or lose time through being too careful in chasing a pursuer. So meaning the concern is, if we say the guy's going to be liable for the damages, when he's in a rescue, even to a third party, so he's not going to, when, he, when his radio goes off, to go on the call, he, he knows he, if he goes too quickly, he might go to the red line. Someone, he's going to hit someone, whatever the case is, he's not going to be running so quick. The response time will be shorter. And he's going to be nervous about going for the rescue. Therefore, the Talmud says, Chazal, our rabbis, realized that, and not like in American law, they foresaw that people are not going to rescue as quickly if you obligate them in damages, and therefore they said any rescue is totally exempt from damages, even to a third party. Okay, so that means if they're going on a call and they knock off someone's mirror, or the famous, you know, like any classical movie scene where, you know, they need a car, they rip the guy out of, you know, the cops need the car, they pull it out of the driver, and they, they take the car and they go, you know, chase the, the suspect. So that is fine, even if they smash up the car on the way, totally fine. They're not liable for damage. Okay, so this, so it's a very again another distinction. Is where your insurance company liable for damage? I don't know. Yeah, it depends on your insurance. Well, right? He's saying Talmudic wise, you're responsible. Right. Uh, U.S. law, you're responsible. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Well, by the way, it's, it's interesting. So the good, I, I spoke to Atzala because they asked me in the Good Samaritan law of Texas. The question is, does it apply to Atzala? So normally, Good Samaritan means you're not. And this goes back to David, what you asked before, um, David F., which is that it's only your obligation to rescue is only if you're professional. So if you're a professional, let's say a physician, um, takes on a patient, a patient walks into his office and they have cardiac arrest in the waiting room. So once they're walked over the threshold, the physician is now professional and the Good Samaritan law doesn't apply anymore. Now it's a contractual obligation. So same thing with EMS. If you call the fire department and they and they do they damage you, of course they're liable. The Good Samaritan laws only apply to non-professionals. But at Sala, is what they told me, they, they asked this question, their attorneys, whoever, that since they're volunteers and there's no compensation, so they're like, could they, the Good Samaritan law does apply <coughs> to them. They're held to a higher standard of care. That could be. Absolutely. Okay, that's a very good point. Oh, so you're saying so they might be held to a higher standard. So again, if we go to a jury, the jury gets to decide if they did something willfully or wantsly negligent. But 
the Good Samaritan laws still protect them because there's no compensation for them. Willful or negligent depends on what, how much you know. Right. Well, they know more. They know That's what he's saying. More. That's what he's saying. So, right. well, they're, they're, in a sense, they're licensed. That's what he's saying. Be, my wife knows more about medical stuff than I know. I hope so. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it depends. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm saying again, a regular Good Samaritan is not held to that standard because they're not, you know, they don't, if they're not licensed, I don't know. Meaning, if you had, took a CPA course, does that mean I'm held to a higher standard? Or? Well, no. if, they, if they open, the, if they if they truly believe that doing open heart surgery on the sidewalk is going to save the patient, and they do it, they're still going to be held liable because they should have, in their right mind, known that yeah. that was a limitation. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I just saw this week relevant uh, to this question. Responsible of Moshe Feinstein, where he discusses on San Shabbat, should Atzala, he right, has a lot of responsibility. Should they use non-Jews to drive the ambulance because they don't have to, they don't have to violate Shabbat. Can you have a non-Jewish employee working for Atzala? So he says, no. He says, we don't want to do that. We don't allow that because the response time won't be as quick. The assumption is someone in the community, you know, they're going to they're gonna drive the red lights. And he says, he says they're going to do things which some Gentiles going by, playing by the rules is not going to do. So, right? so, meaning, so meaning, like you're saying, they'll, they'll bend the rules a little because they want to save a Jewish life. As opposed to... <laughs> okay, so I do have a question about the halatza. Uh, the halatza. Hatsala. 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 Um, so, do they do, are they like on duty different weeks, and therefore they're when they're on duty they're no they're on duty twenty four seven twenty four seven. It would be like I have a beeper and I'm trained, so when my beeper goes off, if you're in the neighborhood, neighborhood exactly, it's like we'll have ten so, guys coming. So through. these people have beepers on it's all, all radios, two way radios. But it's like it's like actually, all two the time on their belt no, at all no, times. This is like they could shut it if they want. Yeah, all the time. Even on so why can't we get that Nuru car to like pick them up? The car drives very slow. You see how slow that thing goes? You see how slow it is? Whether you break a little or a lot, you break No, I'm saying it could be better to break a little, but the response time is not. In Israel, it works like Uber. So you you flip it on when you want to work, you turn it off when you. Listen, they're volunteers, they can turn it off. You know, if he's. I've been to the headquarters in Jerusalem. It's an amazing organization, yeah. I mean, it's amazing stuff. So now I want to get to some. Uh, before we run out of time, some examples I gave another sheet. Another sheet. This is some. The whole country between Hatsala is that they know medically that earlier you get their births and treat them. Right. There's a big difference in the outcome. Right. Yeah, response time, obviously. It's about the response time. That's why they even have. They have In Israel, they have scooters because they can go through traffic. They got motorcycles. Got it, got it. Oh, listen to this, listen to this. So now I have three, I have a few examples here. What happens, and someone asked before, what happens if a person's negligent? Do they have, do they have the same obligation to rescue, number one, and then what about compensation? So, so there's a few cases I put here. One classical case, and this I actually have a friend this happened to, is let's say you're going on an airline and the woman's pregnant. So legally speaking, I don't know if it's actually not a law, and different airlines have different um, criteria, but most airlines will not allow you to fly once you're past, I think, 80, 80 and a half months or eight months. Eight months. You need a, you need a, a letter from your doctor. Yes, eight get months. On the, eight months. But it's not standard. Get a letter, you can fly after eight months, I think. They don't, they don't want the liability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they don't. They're not going to know. So many, you know. So it's a problem. You know, Jews. Everyone has a brother-in-law, doctor, uncle. They're following. So they get these letters, and they people flying from Israel or from New York to Israel. They get on the plane, and they're in their ninth month. They just the last three kids or the last eight kids. <coughs> came late, so they're assuming that's not a problem. 
I'm not going to have the baby and I want to have it in America, not in Israel, whatever the case is. Jewish anchor baby. You know. <laughs> right. No, it's hey, about America. So, so I have a friend this happened to. They were on a, they were on a, I think, I don't remember, it was United, I don't remember the airline. This was 20 years ago. She got on the plane. She was in her ninth month. Um, and then and she went the into labor. B? No, I mean, that's that's the case, but it's not a, this exact case. That's okay. a different case. This lady I put in wore a trench coat to cover her pregnancy. She gets on the plane. She goes into labor. In my, in my friend's case, they actually offered, they said, stewardesses are trained to deliver babies, but the complications. So they said, listen, we can deliver your baby here. They offered him free tickets for his whole family for life, free uh, pass. You can fly the airline free forever. Well, you hand the whole family, or we'll land in London, Heathrow, but we have to dump the fuel and we're going to bill you for it, which is around $125,000 to dump the fuel because they can't land the full tank right. of fuel. Right. So, so they chose. That's not even taking into account the impact on the environment. And was, this was 20 or years the, ago. The, no. thing in LA where they dropped the fuel. Yeah, it just they, happened two weeks ago. Right? They dropped the fuel and it was on a school. Yeah. Just because it was, it was too low. It's yeah. the time that the fuel mostly dissipates before you. Oh, yeah. Just light a match outside. No, but it's not the point. Not, okay. The point is that okay, it cost so them a lot of money. Fuel and the landing and then taking off again. And then you have all these people on the plane that also get there. They're going to funerals. They're going to weddings. They miss their business meeting. Right. So, so they choose. They chose to land, um, and they actually got a bill. I don't think they ever paid it. I don't know what happened, um, but they did get it. They did get a bill in the mail. So the question, is, so that's case number two, uh, B here. It says that most of the not. You can't guard against stupid. So the problem is, is the is the airline obligated to rescue? Meaning, do I have an obligation to rescue someone who negligently negligently put themselves in the situation, right? Or you have attempted suicide, or I mean, when someone's healthy, let's say, I don't know if that exists really, but um, you have uh, cases or different negligent people who did something negligently. So first of all, do I have an obligation to rescue? Secondly, who has to pay for that rescue? Okay. Um, Especially when it's premeditated, that you had some. So if you have a heart attack, you don't know what's coming. If you know you're right. pregnant, you know what's coming. That's what I'm saying, right? So that's when, that's a case of negligence. Like but sometimes you'll be. What happens if they're in the eighth month and she's having a premature, seventh month? So she has. The, she goes to labor premature. Prematurely. Okay. So now that's one case. Um, the first case, this was a famous case, I don't know if you remember this from a long time ago, it was a famous balloon boy, have you heard of this case? This guy, balloon boy, this guy's still around actually, the father, this guy named Richard Heen, he's very into healing balloons, so he has a company, he creates healing balloons, so he, he had, he was, he, all of a sudden he says that he had a nine-year-old son, I think he was, um, was helping him make this healing balloon, and it took off with the kid inside. Very good. So they scrambled the uh, helicopters, F-16s, to try to get the balloon down, to shoot it down, it should land, because the kid was up there by himself. Turns out they, they, the balloon landed by itself, and uh, the kid wasn't in it. The kid was hiding in the closet, somewhere in the house. So they, they, At they the end, it. no, and not only that, at the end, it turned out the father <coughs> knew the whole thing was a stunt. So, oh, I do remember this. Right, so father it was a stunt. Was so they, they build them. <laughs> right, so that's the question. So, so once it's determined there was a hoax, the question became how much would he have to pay? So meaning we, he had to pay all the helicopters that would scramble F-16s. It was, you know, 300 uh, cops chasing the balloon. So how does that work? All the news, it was a great news story. Breitling has a watch like that. It's like a $50,000 watch. It's got this pin that sends it, it's pinned on GPS and they'll come rescue you. And it's like, it's a $50,000 feature. Yeah, pretty easy. Certain. 
And um, if it's a false alarm, they bill you. If it's a safe, they save your life, you. whatever. The rescuers or the... Riley, yeah. Res I think the Coast Guard will bill you if they, if they come in and say, you're a backyard. So, yeah, here. so obviously all these questions... So what do you? So the, the question there is, again, who? If clearly, if it's a hoax in a case like that, there's no question. We're saying, halachically speaking, at least, again, if it's the law of the land, whatever that they have, I think many fire departments will bill you for false, false alarms, but only after a certain number. Okay, so we can talk about that. Yeah. In a second. So. It's a boy so, wolf, though, right? I mean, sometimes your your alarm goes off. You're allowed for a year or whatever. Yeah, you're allowed. I think the, the fire department or whoever you pay your security uh -huh. alarm costing, I think you get three a year, and after that you have to pay for any false alarms. Because uh -huh. even if it was a false alarm because of a short, they say, okay, you should get a fix. <laughs> yeah, so you get three. There's a false alarm. What? They want you to call them and tell them. The watch is only 15000 Yeah. Like our logo. Yeah. 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 Could I share a little anecdotal story? It's quick. Yeah. Without mentioning names. Please do. So I was working once in the emergency room. I'm a psychiatrist, and um, we had a patient that was in there that seemed to be pretty fine. His his the the wife had called the nine one one that he was like having a psychotic break, and so he came into the the ER with the ambulance. And he said, I'm perfectly fine. She's the one that's crazy. And so we'll have to watch him for a while. Yeah, many times. So turned out she, we he was were talking right. to her on the phone. And initially he was she right. was holding it together. But I didn't have much to do that day. So I just, she was chatty. So I just started talking to her. And after about maybe 10, 15 minutes on the phone with her, she started to be confident. She couldn't hold it together. So we were like, yeah, you know what? Wrong, so we don't don't say any names. I know a few cases. Like no, I know what you're talking about. No. It was in New Jersey. It was in New Jersey. Like kind of exchange. Huh? Like kind of exchange, a prisoner exchange. You come yes. to So I said, when you get home, call 911 and they'll bring your wife. And, and that's what he did. Yeah, so, so, by the way, the false, so I just want to get to the Allah because that's a good story. So that's the question. So, two, two questions is one is, as someone mentioned before, do we assume there's consent? Alan, that's the question. Let's say. In normal cases, we're saying you have to compensate, even even if it wasn't negligence, that's for sure. So that's the rush says very clearly. Again, if they have the means, they have to compensate the rescuer, even in a normal case. Except if they don't have the means, so then then uh, obviously then we don't they don't compensate because you are obligated to do it up for the mitzvah. The question becomes, how does it work? Meaning, let's say the person is unconscious. There's is it work because? What's the background? Is it understood that there's implied consent or not? Um, that someone wants me to rescue them. That's the assumption. Okay, so even if they're not saying anything, they're not, they're not hiring you. Um, so there's implied consent. The assumption is people want their lives to be saved, even if they're going to have to damage them. But even if they don't want it, God wants them to be saved. Or, right, but, the, but that's or they true. Fact, so you have to save them. The question is, as far as the monetary compensation, they can say, "Listen, I didn't call you. I didn't tell you to save my life, so I don't want to pay you." Because normally in Allah, there's other. The Talmud talks about case. Let's say a lion is chasing a, a flock, someone else's flock of sheep, and you go ahead and you have to cost you money, whatever you expend money, and you scare away the lion. You get your pit bull. You rent the pit bull to scare away the lion. Whatever the case is. So <laughs> says the Talmud, you don't have to. You, you can't charge the guy. The guy's sheep you saved. He could say, listen, I didn't ask you to do it. You did it. Do me a favor. I never hired you. I never asked you to do it. So, but in this case, he says there's, that there's implied consent because for your own life, people, we're for sure the guy is gonna 
usually will be heard, you know, in cases like that, someone's having cardiac arrest. The assumption is the guy has implied consent. So that's why I put in this other case, look on your paper, what happens if the guy's saying, I don't want you to call the ambulance, like your case. You know, that's number three on the sheet. It says a man starts bleeding profusely. I don't know why the case was in the mikvah. Um, I guess there's other people there. Some of the other people start to panic. He tells them not to worry because this happens to them all the time. You know, whatever it is, he has no noise. He says, don't worry, this happens, it's nothing. So no one believes him. They nevertheless, they don't listen. They call the ambulance. By the time the ambulance gets there, the patient has the bleeding under control. There's nothing for the EMT to do. So who should pay for the rescue? So they're saying, listen, I called an ambulance for you. You have to pay. It's a private ambulance company. They're charged, you know, $2,000 for the call, $3,000. Okay, insurance is not going to cover. It was basically a false alarm. But he, and he told them, don't call. This, this is not, this, I, you know, this is the norm. So in this case, obviously, the, the concept of implied consent shouldn't work because there's no implied consent. He's sitting there screaming, don't rescue me. Right? I but don't need to be rescued. differentiate whether or not he's suicidal. No, we're not talking about suicide. No, but I mean, but it's it's relevant here because let's say the, the exactly. guy's saying, don't rescue me because of such and such. If we assume that he's telling us the truth, then anybody that wants to die could just say, oh, just... You okay, know. so first of all, so again, suicide is a different question. That's a question of you know, the negligence question. Someone's negligent, but the Allah is, of course, we do save them. Obviously. But I would think that we can Even apply it here because we can assume that this guy, if we don't have enough time to do like a psychological evaluation, we can... That's a good point. So someone, so there is a rabbi who says, like you're saying, he says that since in that normal circumstance it would be normal to call an ambulance, then we don't care. You don't the guy's screaming, no, like you're saying, we don't know. Maybe the guy's uh, psychotic, and yeah. he and he he doesn't want to be saved. So we don't. Since we don't know if it's a normal circumstance that you call an ambulance, he says the guy still has to pay. So it's interesting. So meaning again, there's two ways to look. One is implied consent. If the guy doesn't say anything, he's unconscious, or you can assume that he wants you to rescue him, even knock down his door, and he's he has to reimburse you. If there's no implied consent, meaning if the guy's screaming, I don't want the ambulance. So there's different opinions. Some say, like you're saying. looking at reasonableness. Right, exactly. Reasonableness, in this case, should you call an ambulance. Exactly. So so the case of the false alarm, that I put down here with a a different case. Babysitter was hired for the evening. Here's a beeping sound coming from the carbon monoxide detector. She immediately calls 911. The fire department comes, only to tell that the beeping sound was a low battery warning. So you, you know, the babysitter got all nervous. Still, the fire alarm went off, but it really was low battery warning. So who's liable to pay the fire department? That false alarm. Okay. Why not? Hmm? Why not? Because she was being reasonable. I mean, it's like. Is it? I mean, oh, maybe, maybe the parents. The parents should have told them the low battery. Right. They should have changed the battery on New Year's, oh, whatever, whatever time of the year it's supposed to. Yeah, but the battery, the battery only starts to beep when it's low. Right? You don't know that it's going to be low. No, but you're supposed to change your batteries regularly. Oh, you know that? Oh, really? It's a certain yeah. day. I don't know the year. They it's on the um, the days of. Uh, um, Daylight savings time. Okay, daylight, sa- daylight savings time uh, when you switch. You're supposed to change your bed. Check your bed. Twice a year. Twice a year. Yeah. Smoke alarm. Yeah, your smoke alarm batteries, you should change twice a year on daylight savings. Especially if you have little kids. Well, they beep when you need to. Well, I know, but that way they don't beep. You're not home and they're... That was pain in the ass. No, because I'll tell you what happens when they beep. You just run over, rip the battery off, and then you forget about it for the next four months. That's when most... It does happen sometimes. Yes, it does. Sometimes I just rip the whole thing down. Yeah. 
that's, that's when you and if they're burn too, the food. And, they're, and if they're too high for you to get to, you especially do that. Right, that's, uh, you know, the sign, we, our kitchen, we have that sign. Sub, dinner is ready when the smoke alarm rings. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife is a very good cook. That's pretty funny. Yeah, she's gone off many times. Yeah, she does. Okay, so now, um, so one second, so getting, so by the way, this, as far as false alarms, by the way, I found a fascinating response. Hassan uh, Sof is in the 1600s. He talks about two cases. He says, um, so he discusses there, one case is where someone actually, um, this is a funny case, a guy called a molel to come from a different town. They didn't have a uh, molel to do the circumcision. The molel shows up, gets yeah, the hires. And it was a girl. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> baby was a girl. <laughs> so, do they have to pay for the mall or not? It's a false alarm. But That's did he know the difference? <laughs> the mall. I hope it's not an emergency. Well, he not. Was it like a doesn't give you. Like, doesn't kinda... give you the background of how. It's not yeah, how did that happen? They should have known. They should have checked. <laughs> no, but no, but no, but it's not an emergency. But the question is. Who can't does he have to come? Oh, because he's coming from he a different place. Oh, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, he's not doing the So what before a judge, the judge looked against him. Don't be stupid. <laughs> okay, so... No, was he coming from... This was in the olden days, and he was coming from someplace yeah, else. So they called him ahead of time. Yeah, they called him ahead of time. And so oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe that's a point. Oh, yeah, good point. Maybe they called him ahead of time to say we're going to have a baby. Come, it might be a boy. It might be a boy, so that was reasonable. You want the, it might be a boy or come because I need you. But then no. he, if he says come in prep, then he needs to give the guy a refund his travel expenses. Yes. Right. I mean, so I have to pay him the loyal fee. He's right. give him tips, but he can at least give him the <laughs> travel Is that a pun? I did that. Yeah. I, 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 him, I talked to Maximence before <laughs> setting him up, but it turned out to be my daughter. We all had boys. All but, boys he but he didn't come. Okay. So one second. So that's one case. So the so the rule in the rules in the 1700s. He says, yeah, you have to pay them all for at least, as you're saying, his time, his travel, his travel expenses, and whatever expenditures. Because he could. What if it's a hermaphrodite? You have to search. Yes, because it's a we don't know. So you chop it off anyway. Just to be safe. But in this instance, where the, so, so the life, the the you cost that you have to pay yeah. would it be his travel time, but it would also be his My loss of income. Yeah, well, that's right. But I'm saying, I, like he's saying, I don't think you have to pay him for the circumcision. You didn't do no, it. No, 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 not the loss of income right. from that circumcision. Right. But if he but could the loss have another case, in, right? Because yeah. it took him like, like, let's say, yeah, the let's say he missed another one. It took him five days to get there, five days to get back. So he lost. Getting that much money for doing the circumcision anyway. So. You're not allowed to charge. But, no. but he lost a lot of money. charge, by the way, and for circumcision because the mitzvah, the mall's not allowed to charge. Does it he can charge seven, for his time. Seven days, or can it be within seven days? No, no. no it has to be on the eighth, eighth day. day. Eighth, eighth day. day. And okay. you can't do it, if you do it before, you got to do a redo. Cut some more. What is the eighth day? Even on Shabbat, you can do it? Yes. Yeah, if it's the eighth day. Only if it's on the eighth day. Yes. If it's not the eighth day, you then. You have to. You're commanded to do yeah. it on the eighth day. Meaning if it's once, it's no, it's, you're well, not, you're doing it are. after the eighth day. Yes. You don't, you don't violate Shabbat. Yeah, you do it on every day. But if it's once the eighth day passed, for whatever reason, you didn't do it, for health reasons, so then you don't violate Shabbat anymore. Even like, uh, like Yom Kippur is considered a Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, you do it. You still do it. You can have a breast on it. Oh, it's cheap. You don't have to feed anybody. Right, exactly. I, I had a breast. Breast was on, um, 
Fewer what's the one in the summer? Well, when was the, what's the one in the Tishabov? Breast breast was on Tishabov. I fed people, but only half the people went there ate, so it was great. That's what people ate So one more case actually you found here, which is uh, he discusses. Um, he discusses a case like this where the guy there's another case which is actually false alarm the two people he made up to get married and then uh, one side didn't show up to the wedding caterer was hired this, is, this happens yeah. they've actually been to the wedding like this um, so one side chickens out gets cold feet under the altar so do they have to compensate um, for that so of course the answer of is of course well, they have to pay the, for all the expenses the guy's side that didn't show up because the woman's side is the one giving away well, it depends on the case. Sometimes you split it. Well, one last case, and I'll end with this. So there's another response that I found, which is discusses if the, what happens if the guy didn't end up peeling you. So he did the job. He came to the rescue, but he didn't end up peeling you, and there's expenditure. So can he charge him for that? Okay, meaning it's, it was a real case, but the guy, they, they lost the patient, whatever the case is, or they end up appealing him. So again, if you say there's usually this implied consent going with that, so then the assumption is that he has to pay anyway, because he wouldn't want them to try. But if the case where the guy says, I didn't want you to come, so in that case they say, and he didn't end up appealing him, so then you don't have to pay. That's what, that's what they discuss. There's a lot of different fascinating issues. Speak to your local rabbi if you want uh, Tzela to uh, come rescue you.